Listen up, it's the Speakeasy with Annie Madden and Carla Trelaw. Conversations in the margins. A comfortable space for uncomfortable topics. And we're on again, Annie. I've just pressed the big red button. <laughs> and we're back. We're like, back. Just like magic. Woo! So we've got a super special guest today. Yeah. Yeah, someone who might need no introduction. Mm. It's Jude Byrne the National Project Coordinator at AVIL. Welcome so much, Jude. Oh, look, it's really lovely to be here to talk to you two. I was hoping that you'd give me a tap on the shoulder. Because yeah. <laughs> We're saving, saving the best. Saving the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's great. So let, let me do a proper introduction, yeah. even though I've said Jude needs no introduction. <laughs> and uh, I've, I've borrowed this from somewhere else. So, you know, feel free to correct me or or whatever, but this is what I've got for you, Jude. A leading advocate for the health and human rights of people who use drugs for over 25 years within Australia and internationally. Jude has worked in and been on the boards of local, national and international drug user orgs. She was a founding member and remains employed with AVIL. Jude has been a community representative on numerous federal ministry and ministerial and advisory committees in the areas of BBVs and illicit drugs in Australia and globally. You received the International Rolleston Award in 2011. Gosh, I can't believe that's almost 10 years ago. Oh, my God. In recognition for your work in harm reduction. Um, Jude's been an injecting drug user for over 40 years and uh, has had successful interferon ribavirin treatment which is a massive thing to have endured so welcome did we get anything wrong did we miss miss anything out no i think i think it's about a fairly good summary annie yeah yeah i think so look other than to say jude is you know not just a colleague but a very dear friend and you know we've jude and i've worked together for a long time and uh, yeah, yeah been yeah. through a lot so it'd be nice to sort of reflect on that a little bit uh with jude today and for the benefit of others who may not you know get to sort of you know get some of that behind the scenes stuff the history stuff with. well yeah. i remember when you and i were doing tag team as able president i do it we do it the next, you know, yeah. well. Mm-hmm. It was amazing, wasn't it? You know, it feels yeah. like not that long ago in some ways and then, you know, other times I'll be thinking about something and it's like, oh, God, yes, I vaguely remember that happening yeah. at some point. There's so much, Annie, you know, and particularly I think for drug user orgs because we had to do bloodborne viruses and drug and alcohol issues and sort of any other issue that pertained to our community and that was anything that has to do with living. So there's a huge um, sphere that we had to get our heads around. Yeah. yeah. So, look, Jude, I know a little bit, of course, about how you came to work at AVIL, but do you want to, you know, in the context of being a founding member of AVIL and all of that, you know, maybe reflect back a little bit on those early days and how AVIL kind of came to be? Look, it was about 1986 and it was the Christmas and I, someone had lent me a syringe that they had used. So by uh, Valentine's Day that year, I was in hospital with suspected HIV because wow. I was so unwell and that's what, because I had hep B and hep C. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I had a nursing background, so I had some idea about the ethics of nursing and how you meant to treat people. And my treatment, as you can imagine, in 86 in Canberra Hospital, someone who thought they had HIV was not the best. Mm. When I came out, um, about six months later, there was an ad in the paper asking for someone to work at the 
fee-based drug user group. And I said, oh, perfect. So I went for that job and I got it. Mm -hmm. um, so that was December 86, I think. And that um, was, was that Active League, the ACT active, IV yeah, League? Mm -hmm. which was like the peer-based local group. Mm -hmm. And then sort of within six months I became AVIL president because AVIL was just starting. There weren't that many people around then. And, um, yeah, and, and then like once I jumped in, because what it did for me was cement some of those thoughts that I'd been having anyway and talking to with my peers about the drug war and what it meant and how it impacted on our lives and we were really that deviant and that horrible that, you know, we deserve this sort of treatment. And until the AVIL movement came, there wasn't anybody to give you any feedback on those sort mm. of things. It was all very abstinence and you're bad and everybody, nobody liked you and your family was ashamed of you. So, yeah, it really changed the way people started, well, I started to think about myself and drug use and, you know, the um, fear and shame, you know, gradually sort of dissipated. Mm. And so AVIL wasn't funded right from the get-go, though, was it? It was No, no, it got some funding that FAO was managing for it, mm. annual general meeting, and we could pick a couple of projects that we might do. We did junk mail for a couple of years. Um, but... We had money, and then I think something, yeah. I think hepatitis C probably was the thing that, that sort of changed Avil's fortunes. Oh, <laughs> ironically. Ironically. <laughs> well, we Annie, remember? Because mm. HIV had been so successfully mm. by um, our community and the numbers were so low that the government couldn't see much reason to keep us going until... Yeah, right. Um, they did some projections on what Hep C was going to cost them in the healthcare system in the future, and they did a bit of a turnaround and they funded us in '97. That's right. And, you know, three or four years to get that funding. It was a battle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you've had such a vast experience, Jude, but it, it must feel like um, when working for the health rights and dignity of people who use drugs, it's a process of hitting one's head against the wall for the decades. But what has been something that you've seen change for the better over this time? Oh, God, it's, look, that's a really hard one, Carl, because when I look at what's happening now. What, what could it be? Yeah. <laughs> in the Philippines and in America and Canada. Like it's worse now than it was when we first started. Um, you know, we've got hep C treatment in Australia for, for drug users and that's amazing. But the changes have been very small and very incremental. And if you hadn't been around to watch them happen, you wouldn't think much had happened at all. But right. as mm -hmm. research has certainly changed. In the last couple of years, I've noticed a, a distinct difference in the way, well, look, you, you were doing it for years, Carla, talking about the structural issues around drug use for, for people and not just blaming it on the drug users as being, you know, like deviants. Yeah becoming more and more widespread people are actually talking about and looking at those things and no longer just blaming us in research and I think that's a huge a huge difference mm. um, just to have that acknowledgement that there's things external to the individual that is making um, having an impact on them getting hep C and those sorts of things do you think Annie yeah yeah no, look, I agree with you. I think it is, it sounds very, in some ways, kind of negative to go, oh, I can't really think of much that's changed. And you wish, you know, you wish so much you could go, 
oh, you know, this has changed and it this has changed. Mm. But, you know, Jude is right, I think. You know, we saw some early days, you know, of course, needle and syringe programs in themselves were, mm. um, you know, great to get that happening. But that was a long time ago now, mm. you know, and they haven't really developed much since at all. Jude's right, hep C and the hep C treatments, fantastic and really important. So I guess they're the sort of the things that really jump to mind. But I think Jude's absolutely right, the structural you know, the stuff that's still the big issues are still in the way and still causing a lot of stigma and, and rights. But at least they're being talked about now, which they weren't before research, you know. Um, and also, yeah. you, know, you look at opiate substitution. I mean, the way that's headed is just disgraceful. You know, this um, depot, buprenorphine, I mean, the only reason we need that drug is because the methadone program is so punitive and so primitive that people would rather inject themselves with something that they don't really know much about um, because they can't get methadone anywhere outside, you know, the general, you know, big, it's really hard to get. It's hard to get takeaways. I mean, when COVID came and all of a sudden these, you know, like this dogma about what you could do with methadone was shattered. We could get more takeaways and things like that. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it, how easy it became? <laughs> oh, you know. Big surprise. We saw them work this system. Wow. They were telling us fibs all that time. Oh, goodness. Yeah. So, Jude, do you mean, know where's the – oh, sorry, Carla. No, no, you go, Annie. Oh, I was just thinking on that COVID issue, you know, we are starting uh, – Carla and I talked in our last show about just – you know, uh, the potential to hang on to any gains that have been made, you know, during COVID, even if they are small ones. And we are hearing overseas that governments are starting to roll things back. Are, are you seeing that as well in Australia? Uh, you know, things like extra takeaways or whatever. Do you think they're going to be maintained? No, yeah. no it's happening in um, some of the states and territories. I think somebody from Melbourne told me that people were being taken back to their old takeaways and not even being and they'd go in to get what they've been getting and they would just say, no, you're, that's not available anymore. So they are they will try and roll it back as quickly as they can, I think. I don't think yeah. they understand just how the profound difference these things can make for oh, people. I think they do, Annie, right? and that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, that's you know, they do understand. And, you know, they, <laughs> All too well. You know, they really want to stop. There's still that idea that drug use isn't uh, normal human behaviour to some sort of social or economic or, you know, pressures, and I think... Globalization, you know, I, you know, I sometimes say that drug users are the canaries in the coal in the coal mine. Like, you know, we're mm. responding to what happened with globalization a bit earlier than others, but it's putting a huge amount of pressure on people, the family stuff, you know, the lack of connection, and um, more and more people are starting to use drugs, and more and more as globalization hits other countries like Africa and places like that, drug use is is a part of that because yeah. it's really difficult to deal with some of those issues that come around with you know, neoliberalism and globalisation. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah and I, I think that's been an incredible um, vision that you've brought to back to us working in Australia, Judy, is that international look at things. You know, you've been active as an advocate on the international stage for quite a while and um, it's been so good to, to remind ourselves, yeah, things might be okay or tolerable or not the worst it could ever be in Australia, but that doesn't mean there isn't a whole global community out there that needs action and needs leadership like could be provided in, a, in somewhere like Australia. So, um, yeah, we've sort of been lucky, I think, Annie, that um, we were sort of funded quite well and we were able to support some of those early um, movements in the international 
um, drug user movement because we had time and we had the, the expertise. So, you know, I'm really grateful that Australia gave us that, that um, you know, the time and the ability to do it. I mean, you know. Um, I hear you. But, you know, interestingly, I think sometimes uh, um, Carla's right about that stuff around international uh, focus because, um, Jude, you'd be aware that, you know, sometimes in Australia we go, oh, things are really good here and whatever and they're so much more difficult overseas and we're lucky. But, you know, I was looking at overdose statistics recently and what we think are horrific overdose statistics in North America at the moment, actually Australia's are pretty much the same and we're not even talking about it. You know, really? Like, yeah, they're ba- you know, the stats that have more recently come out um, for the last 12 months, you know, are not uh, really very different from what you're seeing in places like Canada. So, you know, what? why aren't we, you know, why, why is that sort of, you know, not considered the issue it was? They're back to where they were 10 years ago or more when we were talking about it a lot. I think, um, you know, it is good to bring that international picture in, I think, sometimes because it actually can be a bit of a wake-up call to say, hey, wait a minute, you know. Look, I remember years ago you telling me that because I was saying, you know, like do we have the right to complain about something because given that, you know, we're getting such, you know, better treatment than most of the world and you said to me, Annie, she said, don't worry about the rest of the world, you know, like not don't compare it with you know, just because it looks as though we're getting something here, we're really not getting what we should be getting, you know, our human rights are being abused. And and I always remember that don't worry about what other people are doing. Think about what we want and what we're not getting and that's where you um, take the comparison from, not other countries and what they're doing but what we can hear. Yeah, lead the way. Mm. Yeah. So I wanted to ask um, a bit of a clunky term about consumer engagement in research and I'm so indebted to both of you actually for teaching me so much about um, the, the lives and worlds of people who use drugs and how we can do research better. But Jude, this has been, you've been such an advocate for mm-hmm. consumer engagement in research. And so I wanted to ask you, you know, what drives you in this work and, and why has it so been such an important focus for you? Look, I think watching what the gay community did around HIV and seeing how they used research to forward their agenda, I think made me really conscious of the fact that research is where government and other people develop policies from. And we had to have some input there because so much of the research back then was really, it was terribly stigmatising the language they used, the things that they went to research. It almost made you feel as though people have got no idea about us. They think that we're so strange. Yeah. That they have to research things that they would think was just normal in any other things, but with us mm-hmm. it wasn't. And it, I mean, we used to laugh, Annie, you know, yeah. the things that they would. Um, mm-hmm. so, yeah, and, and I, I just thought it's really powerful. And, you know, the sort of stuff that you did early on, um, Carla, I think also gave a bit of hope that things could change and, you know, and because, you know, there weren't many of you around, you know, 20 years ago really. You know, you were sort of a leader in the field. But you also gave, you know, that glimmer of hope that things would change and could change. And I think we've worked together to try and do that. And, you know, I think change has happened as a result. I remember, you know, about five years ago desperately trying to get people to write that, you know, hep C isn't contracted by injecting. It's contracted by using contaminated. Mm-hmm. And that it took five years virtually mm-hmm. to get somebody to actually acknowledge that and start writing it in there 
papers, but then once they write it, someone else will write it. The way that goes on, it's really important. Um, And it was about being in there for the long time, not a short time, you know, because mm-hmm. you'd get accused of not pushing an agenda hard enough. But you had to pick your battles, you know. You just couldn't fight them on everything or, you or you know, it's it's not so you got invited to things but it was so we had a chance to give our ideas and opinions on things and that was a real, that was really precious and we had to take care of that by not um, misusing it. But you've also said, Jude, uh, something that really stuck with me around research is you've sort of say, you know, research often, not always, but often really sets the narrative as well. And from from your perspective, it's been really important to be at the table, to be part of setting that narrative, you know, of what what gets said, how it gets said, what, you know, what's seen as important. you know, it, it really matters about being Oh, absolutely, because when you're in the room, they can't talk about you the way they would talk about you if you weren't there. <laughs> and it was really interesting in some of the early days you'd go to meetings and people wouldn't know who you were and, you know, you could fuck a pretty well back then. And if they didn't know who you were, they'd start talking about it. So I just say, and you should have seen them when they realised who I was when we all introduced a bit later. There was there was no um, acknowledgement that what they'd said was highly inappropriate. <laughs> It was it was extraordinary. Mm. Oh. Always one or two people that were really good you could rely on, um, but it, it was really hard to get the the narrative to change around drug users and how they saw us, because I still don't think many people see drug use as our right. We have the right to do what we'd like to with our bodies. You know, like there's meant to be a um, sort of an agreement with the government and the population about you know what they can have impacts on and what they can't and they've really overstepped the mark quite profoundly in terms of drug use and what people are allowed to do with their bodies it's just way out of whack it's unbelievable really isn't it when you really yeah. think about it yeah what's mm. happened around drugs um Jude you know one of the things we wanted to ask you about today is you know you've been quite extraordinary I think even within the drug users movement around the way you've, you know, balanced off being, you know, a mother of three really amazing, beautiful children that I have a great privilege to know and and now you're a grandmother as well and um, do that wonderfully and, you know, working really hard, travelling a lot, you know, meetings, international work that invariably means meetings in the middle of the night all the time and all that, all the stuff people don't see you know, getting up relentlessly, getting on a plane early, going off to something, giving a speech, moving on to the next thing, you know. I just wondered about, you know, your reflections on managing all of that over the years, maybe the prices you might have paid for things that people may not have thought about, but also, you know, just, yeah, your reflections generally on managing. Look, Look, I think I was lucky. My parents had died before I before this started so I didn't have any parents that I had to worry about hurting or offending or or getting concerned about and my children were fairly young and drug use hadn't been part of their because I kept it out my partner didn't use so it wasn't part of our household you know sometimes I'd go to the shop and I'd have to tell them that I had to milk the cows because I took too long to come back <laughs> things. so you know it, it was difficult but because of that because and because I'd come to understand through Avil and, you know, you and discussions that 
there was nothing wrong with me. There was something profoundly wrong with the laws. So I, so you know, and my kids, because they saw me travelling around the world and doing things, didn't see drug use as necessarily, and that you know I was on methadone, so drug use wasn't you know an issue of um, of, of huge um, concern. Daily grind, yeah, mm. yeah, I, and, mm. and also what I was doing, I felt was so incredibly important. Mm you didn't really stop to see what effect it was having because what you had to do just had to be done. And, and you know, yeah, it was just there was this pressing need to change things and I still feel it. Like it hasn't dissipated 30 years later. I still think that what we're fighting for is absolutely intrinsically right and um, honest and it, it has to come about at some stage. They have to stop, you know, um, murdering a section of the community who they, when they don't like, but the, but the drugs just a furphy. It's about you know um, difficult communities and behaviours that you know the government wants to manage. And drug use became associated with some of those communities, and they've just run with it ever since. Mm. It's a really powerful tool for government is you know managing communities by manage by illegal, illegal Ill, making their drug of choice illegal. Mm. I mean, it's that that really. Um... In some ways, you know, it's always been an issue for the women's movement. The, the personal is political, and um, how how it explodes, I think, when you when you occupy a marginalised state um, beyond being a, a woman, even though that's not really a marginalised state. But you know, add on add layers of identity and yeah. ones that are stigmatised and um, and criminalised. You know, are there times where it was just too much tension for you, Jude, or were there times when it actually came together something productive to bring the personal and the political together? Look, the times when it became really difficult was when it affected my children and, and upset them or, you know, I remember one day Miles was about four and he was jumping up and down on my bed and somebody said, and methadone program is for, you know, something like junkies, and he was midair and he just stopped, his mouth dropped and said, oh, Mummy, are you one of those heroin people? methadone and I just remember he was just devastated because all of the he wasn't old enough to you know other than what he'd heard on the radio and stuff we didn't talk about it much with my children until I felt they were ready to talk about it but that was and you know my my girls at various times found it found it difficult but you know I was quite lucky in that I could pass a lot so they weren't mm. at school they weren't given you know they had friends people weren't not allowed to come to our house. I mean, do you know? But that was also because I'd made decisions fairly early on about what I was prepared to do for my drugs and my children came first. Do you know what I mean? They didn't not have parties. They didn't miss out on things that other kids missed out on because I wasn't going to do that to them. And you have to, at some stage in your drug-using trajectory, work out how far you're prepared to go to get drugs. And I wasn't prepared to do that to my children. And I'm just so grateful that, you know, I, I did do that because I've got three amazingly, you know, talented, generous, kind kids, you know, and fortunately they don't have a problem with illicit drugs because, you know, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. It's so hard to be an illicit drug user that, you know, I just didn't want it for them because it's just too hard. Mm. Yeah. Amazing, amazing um, perspective you bring on all of this, Jude, and, uh, you know, I'm not much of a deep thinker, Carla. You know, I don't think I think too deeply. So I didn't think too much. I just went forward, you know, just barreled on forward.
I think I'm, I'm pretty much the same. You just yeah. got to keep sitting up and doing it, but you know, distraction isn't helpful. Yeah, you no. think too much. It's it's dangerous. Yeah. So, um, Jude, speaking of kind of then, you know, where we are now. Um, you said before that uh, you know there's there's still a lot to do and and about being there for the long haul. Um, you know, is there something that's a real passion for you still in this area? Something you really think. I got this. I got to get this done. You know, I can't the finish. Acknowledgement <laughs> that drug use is part of human behaviour and responses. If we can just get that, I think things will fall out from that. You know, it's saying it's a deviant behaviour. It's not what most people do, and people who do it, there's something intrinsically criminal about them. You know, prohibition won't change. There's got to be that understanding that it is. A human behaviour, and there's nothing wrong with the people who do it, and they don't need to be. I mean, I think so, Annie. I don't. What else will get us to where to be in terms of changing the rules until other people see what we're doing as something that could have could happen to them or anybody else? And it's just something that happens. It doesn't have to be this great big brouhaha about drugs, you know, like. I remember when, when I started, you had to keep in contact with the drug-using community or the next time you wanted to use drugs, you wouldn't know where to go. And if you didn't know where to go, someone would have to, you know, go. So that means you'd have to give them some drugs. So you were sort of almost forced to keep in regular contact with, because I never actually liked the the sort of the crime and the shit that went with the drugs. I just liked the drugs. I didn't like the mm. behaviours. Mm like that, that, you know, was of no interest to me. I just wanted that substance because that's what made me feel as though I could manage the world. Mm -hmm. But I didn't like any of that sort of crappy behaviour, you know. I found it just as appalling as most other people and still do. Mm -hmm. you know, just because you use drugs doesn't mean you can just do whatever you want to. You know what I mean? There are some sort of social niceties that need to be adhered to at times. Mm. Yeah, I think, um, you know, you uh, recently... And we can put a link to it. Maybe, you know, there's a film that Input have done a series of mm. films called Taking Back What's Ours and yeah. you and I both were in the Australian version. There's, you know, really encourage people to have a look at them because, you know, there's films from all around the world about yeah, the history. And they are great, aren't they? And gave, you know, not, I mean, of course, not everyone's in there, but, you know, a good chance for a few people to just sort of reflect back a little bit. And Jude, you said um, some really amazing things in that. So I do really encourage people to, to take a look. But one of the things that really stuck with me was uh, you made two comments really. One was that, um, you know, they've really done a very successful job on othering people who use mm. drugs, like really successful, yeah. you know, and it's quite astounding. And I, when you said that, I thought you are so right. Like it's been done so well that people don't even, I think you said in the film something like people don't even think they recognize us anymore you yes. know as human beings yeah. kind of thing. like we're so over there and then the other thing you said which you say toward the end of the film is you speak about just how proud you are of people drug user activists around the world standing up in the face of being you know murdered by in some places and you know I, I think that Othering, it's 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 extraordinary. But it goes back to when I was talking about the research and they were researching things that were naturally assumed to be the, what would happen with a human being, but they had to check that it was happening with us because they weren't quite sure whether we had all of those. Do you have family? 
Oh my God. Yes, yes. Do you have a job? Remember the, the fight we had to have to get people to understand that we actually were a community? Mm. Couldn't exist without a huge number of people to score with, to share money with, to babysit your children with. Like our need of our community was quite profoundly um, intense because it had to be there all we had. We couldn't get other people to mind kids because you couldn't go and say, I'm going to score. Mm. Do you know I mean, like, you risk it, could you? We relied on each other and we did have a community, but, you know, we really fought that one. Annie, I remember you know, mm-hmm. some of the articles that came out saying, well, they don't have a community, so why would yeah. you buy the community yeah. education? Mm-hmm. Community yeah. And development. I think that continues to this day to a certain extent. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if you look at the Hep C response and how poorly we've done there, I think a lot of it's to do with the loss of peers in, from needle exchanges, from all sorts of places where people would go in and if you've got a peer behind the counter, you know, there's there's a sense of empowerment for people and just talking about saying, no, there's nothing wrong with you, man, it's, it's prohibition, it's the drug laws, it's just giving people a different way to see themselves in the world and only another peer can do that because other people don't think to do it and they don't believe them. If, if a non-peer does it well, you just don't really listen to them because they don't know what you've had to deal with. Mm. I think we can be a bit special when it comes to who we believe and who we don't. But yeah. because quite often what comes from the mainstream isn't relevant to us. But, yeah, we've really lost uh, using peers in a really meaningful way in our bloodborne virus um, prevention campaigns. I agree. And it's going to, as you say, be the making or breaking of that entire response, I think. You know, it's one of those things now a little bit, you know, it's sort of see, reaping what you sow situation. You know, they've ne- never really invested in drug user organisations and peer-based responses and now the community needs us to be there to respond and get our uh, you know, connect with our peers around Hep C, and the response just has never been built. We've net the capacity has never been built, and they can see mm. that they can't do it now because they've been trying for long enough. And it's just not happening. Mm. So they know that they need us to do that conduit thing again, mm. um, and it's really difficult because when we did it with HIV, we had needle exchange, we had an expanded methadone program, we had something that people wanted. I mean, we can't even give out pipes for people who are smoking. Um, ice. There's, we've got nothing to bring people in to give them the sort of messages that we were able to do with HIV. Um, and some of these people have lived with needle exchange all their lives. There's nothing extraordinary about it for them. There's nothing new that the government's giving them to make them want to engage with um, services or anything like that. Okay. Well, this has just been a fantastic um, chat with you, Jude. Uh, you know, just uh, all the all the respect for the enormous amount of work and time and personal costs that you've put into these fantastic endeavours over all these years. Um, yeah, but I've got to meet words? amazing people like you and Annie and things like that. I mean, you know, while there's been you know some hardship, there's also been some complete joy. Times of that. you know something came through or somebody you know like it's been extraordinary and I feel really lucky to have been able to participate in this time in our world you know I think if ABLE and the drug user movement hadn't come around I'd either be dead or or housefrau and I don't know which one's worse I think (laughs) it's not (laughs) well that'd be a (laughs) toss-up well look you know 
I just want to really thank you, Jude, for your work. I think the opportunities to thank people um, mm. this kind of effort that is not the same kind of effort of just going off to a normal sort of nine-to-five job every day. There's something extraordinary when you are part of such criminalised and communities yeah. that are so marginalised as a result and the people who stand up in the face of that, you know, need um, respect and, yeah, so respect to you thank and you, Annie. for thank all you. your, your many that years of work. You've been a mentor you. for me and, you know, that's, yeah, I've learned so much from you over the years. So thank you thank and you. thank you for such Same. an interesting chat too. It's been yeah. really great. It's been a pleasure and, yes, as I said, I was hoping to get tapped, so thank you very much. All right, well, we'll sign off now, but I need you ladies to stay in the uh, recording studio, such as it is, whilst we, <laughs> whilst we finish studio. off. All right, and uh, we'll see everyone um, soon, next episode. For more information about this podcast, our guests and upcoming episodes head to httpcsrh.arts.unsw.edu.au.